Good morning. I'm Wimala, and I'm here in northern Illinois. Uh, wow, did we have an incredible night last night. I have never heard as much uh, thunder, just roaring thunder and rain into the into the late night at least. I mean, it began probably at 9 o'clock, 9 p.m., a little bit after 9. And it was a lot more spectacular in terms of sound and fury than any uh, fireworks show would have been. So, my goodness, uh, what a, what a, <laughs> it was kind of incredible and beautiful in a lot of ways. Just the noise was just endless for such a long time. So, um, I hope you had a peaceful holiday. I'm not. I'm not big, especially on Fourth of July, of getting out and celebrating, and I'm. I'm even more committed to that point of view uh, this year. And of course, in Highland Park here, we had six people killed, and more than twice that number in hospitals from wounds from a single gunman. And it was in just a lovely area right outside of Chicago, kind of a suburb of Chicago, Highland Park, and the last place you might expect anything to happen during the their Fourth of July parade yesterday. So when things when things get are getting closer to home for all of us, right? We can't we we don't live in a world where we're far from anything. And sometimes that's sometimes that is quite literal. So I think there's a lot of sadness today because it just never stops in this country, does it? So um, that's why this practice is so important for us because we need a refuge. We need to make ourselves a refuge, but we need to have a refuge. And I think the Buddhist teachings are so... One of the things that's beautiful about them is that they're sometimes... It may seem kind of brutally honest, but, uh, you know, the Buddha said he never promised that he would eliminate suffering, but he, there, that so much of life is suffering that we need to learn how to work with it, how to deal with it, so we can be, uh, where, where we can still maintain a, a kind of joy and happiness that comes from within and not depend on anything in the outer world to, uh, to bring us peace or true happiness because we're not going to find that outside. And we also want to be there for others. We want to be a refuge for others and we want to be like that lamp. I always think of uh, the song we would always sing in the Sunday school when I was a kid about not letting your your light hide under a bushel. And uh, that was wonderful because we got to kind of jump up and be, when we, when we took that basket off of our little light, we would all get excited. <laughs> but now I'm a Buddhist. I'm not in that fundamentalist uh, uh church anymore at all but uh, it's I kind of remember that all the time it's like it's important in the world today that we all let our let our light shine because we may be a refuge for someone else uh, 
we may be able to help someone else out of just, you know, there's a lot of depression these days and a lot of anxiety and we're not immune from it. Believe me, I know that we're not immune from it, but we have different ways and tools and uh, uh, strategies that we can use with our Buddhist teachings to help us help us work with those situations that we encounter and uh, be kind of a supplement to good mental health practitioners and other ways that we may need to work with our own issues but we can also uh, use our practice and our and the Buddhist teachings to help us in those situations there the just our meditation alone and practicing metta and yeah Doreen others I know people are struggling it's difficult and um, we don't know right now we don't know our country needs this country needs some healing and um, that means that all of us need some healing and so what we need to do is to be able to hang in, hang in there and find noble friends and try to, uh, if we have a spiritual practice, to try, to try to be faithful to that practice. Whatever it is, it's going to, if it's a spiritual practice, it's, you know, that you feel good about and that is helpful to you, embrace it, embrace it and let it help you. And let and anything else that really helps, and I don't mean drug, out, recreational drugs or alcohol. Those are ways that a lot of people want to run and get away from it. So even those kind of problems are on the rise. But um, we need to all be able to stand together and be be clear that our spiritual lives can be maybe the best medicine uh, right now for dealing with this world and we're just seeing samsara that those worldly conditions we're just seeing them just right I mean this is such a uh, the flourishing time for if something bad can happen just hold on and it's gonna happen so we have to find our own island of peace and that has to be from within us and that's why we're all here. So I have been reading, and I'm going to finish this up by, by Thursday, but I wanted to share with you, this is a book I have called The Five Invitations by Frank Ostaseski. And I'm just reading, it's a, it's a good, very good book. He was one of the first people to work through the Zen, he created the Zen hospice movement. And... Um, that's still very active in training people and you know they're different New York City and out in New Mexico I know they have very uh, dedicated programs to train people to work in hospice and this is the five invitations um, they show us how to wake up fully to our lives and these are five things that he expounds on in this book that are the invitations to all of us but he learned he learned and saw how true these all were through his work with hospice and people who were dying. And he says, this is, 
Um, death is not waiting for us at the end of a long road. Death is always with us in the marrow of every passing moment. She is a secret teacher hiding in plain sight. She helps us to discover what matters most. And uh, this is, these are the five invitations. And we've already done don't wait is the first one. Don't wait. Second, welcome everything. Push away nothing. And then this third one, and we'll do three and four because I think, boy, they're both, we need them today. The third invitation, bring your whole self to the experience. What And it begins with this short poem. Watching the moon at dawn, solitary, mid-sky, I knew myself completely, no part left out. That's by Izumi Shikibu. So I'm just going to read the first page that at the end, beginning of this section. Imagine you had a photo of yourself printed on thick, stiff cardboard. Now imagine that the photo was not just of your face or even the length of your body, but somehow represented a multi-dimensional image of your whole being, including all the parts of your personality. Suppose you fed that board through a laser-cutting die to make it into a jigsaw puzzle. Visualize spreading all 1,000 interlocking pieces out on a table and starting to assemble the puzzle. You might begin with the corners or an easily recognizable part like your hand or ear. Perhaps your eyes since they are said to be the window to the soul. But as you progressed, you might come upon a puzzle piece you didn't like. For example, your fear. You might muse, I think I'll leave this piece out. Or you might come upon your lust and say, no, my spiritual people told me that lust is no good. I can't include this piece. And so it would continue with you deeming certain aspects of yourself acceptable and other parts totally unacceptable. After a while, you wouldn't be able to recognize yourself in the puzzle because you would be looking at such a fragmented image. You wouldn't be able to see the full picture. We all like to look good. We long to be seen as capable, strong, intelligent, sensitive, spiritual, or at least well-adjusted. We project a positive self-image. Few of us want to be known for our helplessness. Fear, anger, or ignorance or want others to know that sometimes we are more of a mess than we'd like to admit. Yet more than once I have found an undesirable aspect of myself, one about which I previously had felt ashamed and kept tucked away to be the very quality that allowed me to meet another person's suffering with compassion instead of fear or pity. My own experience of abuse allowed me to empathize with both the abused and the abuser to help each find forgiveness for, those, for their anger and open toward their fear. It is not our expertise 
but rather the wisdom gained from our own suffering, vulnerability, and healing that enables us to be of real assistance to others. It is the exploration of our inner lives that facilitates us in forming an empathetic bridge from our experience to theirs. To be whole, we need to include, accept, and connect all parts of ourselves. We need acceptance of our conflicting qualities and the seeming incongruity of our inner and outer worlds. Wholeness does not mean perfection. It means no part left out. I really like that. Isn't that, it's a great thinking of it as a puzzle in those pieces. Doesn't make, the puzzle doesn't make sense if you leave out pieces that you don't like. And that's a lot, that's very much about, um, I think, self-compassion too. So let's see if there's something at the end of this section. Oh, this is, <laughs> it, it's so it's ending on, ta- it's talking about compassion. Sometimes the presence of compassion seems to heal a particular pain right away, but sometimes the presence of compassion and loving kindness allows us to stay with suffering that might otherwise prove too difficult for us to tolerate. But by staying with pain and suffering, compassion allows a deeper truth to be revealed. My friend Michael lives with multiple sclerosis, lived with multiple sclerosis for almost 25 years. He and I worked together for 15 of those years, preparing for his dying. Yes, for 15 years we talked. Once after he came home from a bad bout of pneumonia in the ICU, he said, Frank, I'm not going back. I said, you're not going back to the hospital? No, I'm not going back. How come, Michael, I asked. I got really scared, all the work we've done, and I'm still scared. There was a long pause while we both took in the depth of Michael's suffering. Then in a moment of clarity, that came from compassion more than expertise, I said, oh, Michael, that fear will never go away. The part of you that is scared will always be scared. At first, Michael looked a bit stunned, but after letting the words touch his heart, he said, wow, that's the most comforting thing anybody has told me about this whole situation. It wasn't resignation, it was an understanding that while the fear was there, he was aware of the fear and he could access that dimension of himself that was not scared. Awareness could be with the fear. I'm gonna read that sentence again. Awareness could be with the fear. Fear was no longer the only thing in the room. Now compassion was also present. It provided the necessary breathing space to see that the fear was workable. For a moment, Michael was the one who was not sick. Compassion requires that we get in touch with what hurts. It's the pain, the suffering itself, that invites compassion to manifest. The intelligence of compassion brings forward a kindness that is not trying to get rid of suffering, 
This goes counter to the ego's wishes. Ego only wants to be protected from pain. Compassion opens to pain. We have a closet full of strategies that we can employ to keep the unpleasant at bay, to keep suffering at arm's length. Our defenses render us blind and can mislead us about the true sources of our suffering. Fear, anger, guilt, worry, resentment, shame. These are all painful, reactive symptoms. Our psychological defenses can mask deeper dynamics in our psyches, keeping us from understanding the more fundamental causes of our suffering. In this way, our often unconscious defenses serve to recycle our suffering. When compassion is present, our defensiveness can relax. When our defenses are down, we can look objectively at our situations and see the true origins of our suffering. Then we can intervene skillfully to address the real causes and not just the symptoms. So another aspect of compassion is the capability to be with suffering as a means of coming to and experiencing more truth and greater freedom. Once during a talk in, journey, in Germany, Bernie Glassman Roshi referenced Avalokiteshvara, the Bodhisattva of compassion. The deity is pictured with a thousand arms. In each hand there is an ear, in each hand there is an ear to hear the cries of the world. It, the ear is in the palm of his hand. A thousand arms are here or there to respond. Bernie was suggesting that compassion is a natural and appropriate response to suffering. A man stood up, stood up and said, this is all well and good, but I don't have a thousand arms. I only have two arms. What am I supposed to do to alleviate all the suffering? Bernie paused, then very beautifully said, you're wrong. The man insisted, no, I am quite sure I only have these two arms. Bernie asked everyone in the room to raise both their hands up in the air. There were over 500 people in attendance. Look, he said, a thousand arms. His point, I think, was that it's an illusion to think that we are doing this work all by ourselves. In truth, everything is intimately connected, related in a vast network of interdependence. All our thoughts, feelings, and actions affect everything else in the network. The great naturalist John Muir once said, when we try to pick out anything by itself, we find it hitched to everything else in the universe. Which brings us back to the ocean in which each of us are individual waves, unique yet inseparable from the whole. When we look at reality from the vantage point of the separate self, we're constantly searching for what distinguishes us from others. All we see are things falling apart. All we see is suffering. But if we shift to the vantage point of connectedness, we can feel the harmony. We don't completely abandon our personalities. 
but we adopt more inclusive points of view. I think that's talk that's speaking exactly to why we have a sangha, why we why we have this creation of a sangha even here on Facebook or wherever we go to be connected with people with similar values and uh, similar wishes and levels of compassion. I'm going to read that again. All, if it's just us individual, all we see is suffering. But if we shift to the vantage point of connectedness, we can feel the harmony. We don't completely abandon our personalities, but we adopt more inclusive points of view. Compassion is what enables us to come close to suffering, to know through intimacy. When we get that close, the illusion of I and other falls away. We know ourselves to be part of this web of mutuality. Wisdom shows us that the small bounded sense of separate self we have taken ourselves to be is no more than a limiting story. When separation falls away, we recognize that we are everything. Being everything, compassion is simply an appropriate response, the natural way to serve. And love, what is the natural way to serve and love what is really our whole selves and to express its freedom. It's really a beautiful one. So that's the third one to remember. uh, Bring your whole self to the experience. And self-compassion and compassion in general is a huge something we really need to be working with every day these days. Um, I'm not going to read what the fourth, the, the, the content for the fourth one today, but I'll, the, the fourth invitation is find a place of rest in the middle of things. And so that's, I think, what we all need these days, right? We're in the middle of so much, we need that refuge, that place of rest. So that we will read and uh, I think we lost connection for a second. Um, that place of rest in the middle of things is what we, what we, that one we, I'm looking forward to reading that. So we have just a few minutes, but let's take advantage of those three or four minutes to sit. And if you can, just continue sitting. If you have the time, and this is a good time for your practice, we can begin together and then you can continue sitting on your own. Or you might want to uh, let that be, uh, if it's, it's kind of muggy here, but if you want to take a walk, do that right after the talk and you'll have a couple of minutes of getting into your meditation and do a walking meditation. Or you can do a meditative wash the dishes if you need to. But remember, sit comfortably, but always roll your shoulders back. And if you want to do some stretches and uh, lifting your hands up and just moving your body to get your body feeling relaxed before you even begin to, to sit. You know, you can be on your back 
you can be in a chair if you need um, if you need uh, bolsters or things like like you would use in restorative yoga you do that if your body needs to that extra support and if you're comfortable sitting on the floor that's wonderful but um, use what you need if you need something to lean against if you you know we don't, our bodies are all in different conditions so when I say let your spine lift you up you may not have a spine that's very good at doing that so you want to find a way to help find find a way to help lift yourself up and be comfortable roll your roll your shoulders back that feels good it helps you sit up better with less discomfort and it gives your lungs more room so your breathing naturally becomes deeper our breath these days is more precious than ever because during the day, it's really good to stop and just stay with your breath for a few minutes, any time during the day. And notice maybe when you do that, how stressed you might have been in just your regular activities or how your breathing was becoming more shallow because you're holding something in or uh, you're dealing with something that's difficult and you may not realize how shallow your breathing has become. So, if you can close your eyes, do that. And just allow your body to breathe. Be aware of the breathing. Breathing in and out through your nostrils. Today we're just taking a rest. This is a tiny meditation, but tiny is fine. <laughs> You can observe your breath either around your nostrils, just observe the breath as it goes in to your nose. And then again, you observe it just as it comes out and you, and you notice it then where you feel your breath around your nostrils or in, right inside your nostrils where it might tickle or you notice the air is cooler going in and then warmer going out. Or you notice how it may tickle above your upper lip. You don't follow the breath through your body and you don't follow it out your body. You are, you are just paying attention to the body. And you can always uh, do a body scan as your meditation so we're always wanting to stay in the body. That's where all of our lessons are. We don't need to go anywhere. We don't need to go outside of the body or 
have an out-of-body experience, but it's not what we're doing. And if you like, you can also just be aware of your belly when, you, when you're aware of the breath. As you exhale, your belly contracts a bit. As, as you inhale, it goes out. And that can be the focus of your attention. Either place is good. Try not to jump from place to place. As our time together comes to an end, we can send merit. And may everything we do and say and think today be done not only for our own benefit, but may it be for the benefit of all living beings. May we be harmless in everything we do And may, may our actions and thoughts and words create a refuge for others. May we speak with kindness. May we be gentle with others. May we have compassion for ourselves and for others. Thank you. Have a good day and remember everybody, I think everybody you meet and every animal, they all had to live through all that thunder and lightning last night and um, you know, animals suffer with all the fireworks and I think about the squirrels and the chipmunks and uh, they had to suffer through bad weather last night and the thunder and lightning and the fireworks right before that. So be gentle with every being you meet today and know that everyone's probably some level of suffering. There's something difficult going on or some anxiety or confusion about the world right now. So. We can, we can let peace begin with us. So I'll see you Thursday, and we will, I want to also begin sharing with you this beautiful book. It's Tara Brock's book, Trusting the Gold. 
And it's a small, beautiful, their watercolor illustrations, but the more, the more I'm reading in it, and uh, oh, I'm just cherishing it. And it's, it's uh, at first I thought, oh, it's going to be kind of something light, like a little, almost like a small coffee table book, but it's not at all. It's very, it's very deep and profound. And so I'd like to, I think, well, and it's, there's so much in it that we need today. So I'll start reading this, uh, but we'll finish the five invitations first on Thursday or Friday. All right, thank you very much, and, and thanks for being such a big part of my practice. Bye-bye.